Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys? Sophia calls razzle, she doesn't call it razzle dazzle, she calls it wazzle dazzle. She goes, are we, can we go now wazzle dazzle, mom? If you say it right, maybe, yes. <laughs> well, good morning. Um, today, this is the second series, uh, or the second, second uh, sermon in the series on the gospel according to Disney. And last week, Pastor Josh did Pinocchio, and I am doing Frozen. Surprise, surprise. I've probably watched that movie like 50 times. We own the soundtrack. We own the digital version. We own the Blu-ray version and the regular DVD version. <laughs> so, But before I get started, I want to say a big thank you. Can Crystal and Patrick just wave your hands back there? I just want to say thank you because these folks make what what happens up here work. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all your work. And, and, and Larry, too. Pastor Larry, thank you, too. Okay. Anywho. So Frozen, um, and let me just say this, too, real quick. Um, maybe you're like, I don't know about looking to Disney for spiritual truth, but um, this book that uh, Pastor Josh got for the staff to read, it's called Faith, Love, and Pixie Dust. And it talks about the Judeo-Christian roots in um, Walt Disney's uh, empire and kingdom and his movies, actually. He was raised in a very strict Protestant home. And so he wasn't too keen on religion. However, he embraced a lot of the philosophy, not the philosophy, the teachings of Jesus. He, he resonated with them. He's like, yeah, amen to that. So when we pull out these... and, and this tradition has been carried on, you know, Frozen is one of the, it's part of the new Disney, it's called the new Disney. Um, this tradition is uh, definitely in the movies that we watch now. So, so I, I just want to let you know, we're not, we're not reaching for straws and be like, I hope this is gospel stuff. Okay, okay yeah, okay, good. But there is inherently um, gospel written into the Disney movies, so... All right, well, let's get started. So we're, we're looking at uh, Frozen. And Frozen, for those of you that haven't seen the movie, and I hope you have because there's going to be a few spoilers. So um, Frozen is about, it's loosely, and I mean super loosely, 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 based on the Snow Queen. And by loosely, I mean <laughs> they took the idea of this snow person and then gutted it <laughs> and filled in everything else. Okay. There's a, two sisters at the core of the story, and they, um, one of them, Elsa, has secret gifts and abilities. Like, she can make snow stuff, right? Okay, so, when she and her sister are playing one day, uh, Anna, there's Anna and Elsa. Uh, Anna accidentally gets hit by a, a, a bolt of ice, and it, it uh, knocks Anna out. And so, Elsa is devastated by this. So her parents, who are the king and queen of Arendelle, are, um, they're like, we're going to deal with this. And how we're going to deal with this is we're going to teach you how to hide your gift and conceal it. And one of the main triggers for Elsa is fear. When she gets fearful or she gets anxious, she starts to lose control of this gift. And so her parents decide that the best thing to protect both sisters is to have Elsa live a secluded life in the castle, okay? So that's the background story. And then 
Unfortunately, the parents pass away, so it's the throne is passed to Elsa, and she decides, I, I, this is not for me, I'm not into this, I want to be free and practice my ice sculpting skills up in the mountains. So she runs away, her sister Anna chases after her, and there's all kind of stuff that ensues, and we'll get into more of that later, but that's just kind of the, 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 the rough layout of the story. All right, what I want to talk about, though, is the, I hope that's Jesus calling. Is that Jesus calling? Um, if you do have phones, please put them on silent because I don't need help getting distracted. I distract myself when I'm up here. So, all right. So, there are four key issues that we're going to look at related to love. And maybe you're like, this is a Disney movie and we're going to look to Disney to talk about what true love is. Yes, we are. We are. One of the, the key things, I think, so... This movie, Frozen, talks about what true love is from various aspects. And what's interesting is that this is a departure from the typical boy meets girl, because there are boys that meet girls in this. The boy meets girl, girl likes boy, then they get married and they live happily ever after. Okay, There is that element that's in this, but that's not the focal point of this. What is at the core of this story is what true love is. And it's very refreshing. I know you guys are just like, oh, Mako, you're, you're so like this. But it's just nice that um, the, the, the hero doesn't come along and sweep the lady off of her feet and, and save the day. It's much more profound, and it's deeper than that. So we are going to look at four various aspects of what true love is. And when I say true love, I'm not talking about pie in the sky, butterflies in the stomach, sweaty palms love. I am talking about love that makes a difference. It's agape love, basically, that we see in the Bible. It's self-sacrificial love, all right? <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Hairball. All right. Um, so I've seen Frozen probably literally like 50 times, way, way too many times, just way too many times. But there's some really good things to it. And all right, so one of the first points is that true love demonstrates loyalty and faithfulness. And the story does this by kind of comparing and contrasting the two love interests. So you have Princess Anna, okay? She meets and gets engaged to Prince Hans, who Prince Hans of the Southern Isles, and he comes to the coronation event, uh, her sister's coronation event, and he fits the bill for Anna. She's swept off her feet. She's like, oh my, he's tall, dark hair, debonair. Wow. He's amazing. He's a prince. And he lit then when they first bump into each other, he's on a horse. Okay, so here's her, her white knight on a horse, right? So she's swept off her feet. And so they get engaged. And then at the coronation event, Elsa, the queen, who's supposed to, you know, get installed as a new queen, she freaks out and she takes off to the mountains. Anna, the plucky sister who just got engaged, was like, I have to go after my sister. So she turns to Hans, who she's just gotten engaged to, and she's like, I'm leaving the kingdom to you. You've got to run things. I'm going to go find my sister. And so you get this set up. So it's got Hans. And then um, Anna meets this guy, Kristoff, who has been raised by trolls. He's an orphan. <laughs> He's been raised by rock trolls. 
He's stinky and smelly and kind of curmudgeon-y. And his best friend is a reindeer. <laughs> so this guy is a far cry from what Anna, you know, her checklist of what to look for, for true love, right? And so it's an interesting contrast between the two. And so I want to roll this one clip. This, so this, before you guys roll it real quick, let me just say this. So um, Anna basically tells Kristoff, you're going to help me find my sister. I'm going to borrow your reindeer and your sleigh, and we're going to go look for my sister. And Kristoff's like, all right, okay. And so, but from the get-go, you see that Kristoff, he has this conversation with Anna about her getting engaged. And he just is, he shoots straight with her about the engagement. He's basically like, this is really ridiculous what you did. Like, you don't even know this guy, and you're going to marry him? And she's like, well, you know, it's true love when it's true love. And he's like, no, that's not true love. And I just like it because it, Kristoff doesn't put on any airs like Hans does with Anna. Kristoff is just himself. He is faithful to being himself, and he's faithful to being himself with Anna. All right, let's roll this clip. Hang on. We like to go fast. I like fast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Get your feet down. This is fresh lacquer. Seriously, were you raised in a barn? No, I was raised in a castle. Hmm. So, uh, tell me, what made the queen go all ice crazy? Oh, well, it was all my fault. I, I got engaged, but then she freaked out because I'd only just met him, you know, that day, and she said she wouldn't bless the marriage. Wait. You got engaged to someone you just met that day? Yeah, anyway, I got mad, and so she got mad, and then she tried to walk away, and I grabbed her glove. Hang and... on. You mean to tell me you got engaged to someone you just met that day? Yes, pay attention. But the thing is, she wore the gloves all the time, so I just thought maybe she has a thing about dirt. Didn't your parents ever warn you about strangers? Yes, they did. But Hans is not a stranger. Oh, yeah? What's his last name? Uh, of the Southern Isles. What's his favorite food? Sandwiches. Best friend's name? Probably John. Eye color? Dreamy. Foot size? Foot size doesn't matter. Have you had a meal with him yet? What if you hate the way he eats? What if you hate the way he picks his nose? Picks his nose? And eats it. Excuse me, sir. He is a prince. All men do it. Ew. Um, look, it doesn't matter. It's true love. Doesn't sound like true love. Are you some sort of love expert? No, but I have friends who are. You have friends who are love experts. I'm not buying it. Stop talking. No, 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 no. I'd like to meet these. No, I mean it. <clears throat> All right. All right, now what's interesting is, like, she's got, so Anna is engaged to, to Hans, right? Well, who's next to her? tracking down the sister in like this snowstorm. It's not her fiance, it's Kristoff. And this interaction here typifies their relationship throughout the rest of the story. Kristoff is the one that is leaping off of snowy cliffs with her. He's the one that's fighting back um, an, evil, <laughs> an evil giant snowman called Marshmallow. <laughs> that Elsa has created. I mean, he's the one that's next to her in the muck of everything. He never leaves her side. 
He's next to her the entire time. Hans is nowhere to be seen. And there's this, just this kind of like chesed love. I've spoken on this before. This faithful devotion where you're like, I am next to you and I'm not leaving. All right, let's look at 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians 13, this is the, the love. And these are the love verses. And this talks about this, this unrelenting stick to that true love exhibits. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Before I go on, in the movie, what we, what we don't get to see is um, they're being chased, Anna and Kristoff, by these ravenous wolves, right? And they're scary. They freak me out. They've got these beady eyes, and they're like giant. So they're trying to eat Anna and Kristoff. And Kristoff, without even hesitating or thinking, having to think about what he does, he gets Anna, he tosses her and puts her on the reindeer, and he cuts the reins because they're coming to a chasm, of course, that they have to leap over or they're going to die and get eaten by wolves. They're either going to crash and plummet to their death or they're going to get devoured by these creepy wolves. And so he takes Anna and he throws her on there. And he's like, he tells his reindeer, Sven, he's like, Sven, take her across the ravine. So she jumps, and he jumps across, and he saves her. And it just, that typifies his relationship. And I just think, you know, for a Disney movie, that's a pretty profound truth, that this character exemplifies this, this love. All right, love never fails, uh, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You know, Initially, Anna is so taken with Hans, right? Because he puts on airs and he seems to be one thing, and then you find out later he's a creeper. Um, but Kristoff is steady and sure, and he never leaves Anna's side. He's faithful to the end. All right, uh, number two, true love liberates. Let me give you some uh, background to this next clip that we're going to see. Um, this song is iconic, and it won an Academy Award, right? And you say Frozen, everybody starts singing Let It Go, right? I'm so sick of that song because my daughter has sung it, like, too much. And if you have kids, you understand, right? It's catchy. It gets in your head. And once it gets in your head, you can't get it out. It's just stuck there, and you're just like, ah. Okay. The ironic thing, this clip that we're going to see is that, the, you know, the iconic where Elsa, the older sister who's, the, who's become the queen, she runs away from Arendelle, her kingdom, and she is like, I'm going to let it go. I get to be myself. I can be the ice queen. I can spin castles. I can make creepy snowmen that talk. I, I, can, I can be myself. I don't have to control every, anything. I don't have to conceal anything. I can just let it go, and I don't have to worry. I don't have to live in fear about hurting anybody or moderating my powers. I can just let it go. So that is the scene. The ironic thing, though, is that she trades one prison, living in her castle in her, in, in her room growing up, she trades that for another one, her ice palace. She is more isolated when she comes to this, when she makes this ice castle to live in than she was before. And it's just funny because I think that's what we do in our lives. But let's look at this clip. And if you want to just bust out in a song... Feel free.
Snow glows white on the mountain tonight, not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation, and it looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in, heaven knows I tried. Don't let them in, don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. for another two minutes so <laughs> so do you guys have this song stuck in your head now you will um, I want you guys to see though um, just her joy and exuberance right and she's building this huge castle and it, it seems like it's a great thing and she's super happy but she's still a prisoner because what what forces her what compels her to go and be isolated like this is her fear of having to live a controlled life back down in Arendelle, and she's fearful that she's gonna hurt more people with her powers. So fear is her motivation. And there's a, a later part in the movie when um, Anna, her sister, comes to visit her and is like, please come back home. Elsa becomes so anxious and so overwrought with emotion and so upset that that's transferred to her ice castle and everything turns red and there are these like icicle shards that start coming out and she just completely loses it. Her fear controls her. The only thing that liberates her from this 
and we'll get to this, is the ending. When her sister, Anna, saves her life, Elsa's life. It's an act of true love. And it sets Elsa free. And at that point, Elsa goes, trying to control it isn't the key. The key is love. And she finally figures out how to manage her, her powers. But let's, let's look at some, uh, and maybe you're like, Mako, this is great, but that's a Disney movie, and I've got real, I got real stuff to deal with. Maybe you have, you're dealing with, you know, you just got a medical diagnosis that has just floored you. Or maybe you just found out you're going to lose your job. Or maybe your only car that you need to get your kids to school or get yourself to school or go to work with, that broke down, and you have no money in the bank, and you don't know how you're going to fix your car. Or maybe your relationship with your spouse is on the tipping point of divorce. My point is, uh, truth, God is the author of truth. And we can look at a Disney movie and extract truth from it and apply it. And I'll show you how in just a second. So, here's the challenge. And here's the point. True love liberates. We're going to look at some verses. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Wow. 1 John 4.18a says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. If we know that we are so completely and utterly loved by God himself and that he knows when we lose a single hair on our head, how can that not change us on the inside? And I know life is tough. You're like, but you don't know what I'm going through. I probably don't, but I've had lots of conversations with lots of you, and I know that you guys, lots of you guys are going through tough stuff. But guess what? There's good news. Let's look at Romans 8:15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So when we said, yes, Jesus, come into my heart, I accept you, guess what that did? We lost the fear. And I know it's tricky sometimes because we're like, have you seen my situation? Do you know what I'm going through? But sometimes what we have to do is we have to walk in the blessing. We have to walk in the calling. And let me explain it to you. Okay, so um, I shared with you guys uh, a couple years ago, you know, like I had a bunch of concussions that I just gave myself because I was such a klutz, right? I got five in a year and a half. And then one night... When we're setting dinner, I'm, I'm literally putting silverware on the table. I pass out. Like there was no warning sign, no nothing. I just pass out. We go to the doctor. My neurologist drops me. I find out that he's dropped me as a patient through the pharmacy. They're like, he's not your doctor anymore. I said, I just saw him on Tuesday. This was like a Friday. They said, I don't understand. They're like, he dropped you as a patient. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. Good news to know, because I just passed out, and I have no doctor to treat me. And I just, I remember I was so terrified. 
We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know why I was passing out. I had my driver's license taken away, which totally blew chunks. I was so not happy. It was like Friday this happened. I got to see a doctor, and I found a new doctor a little while later. She's like, I'm sorry. It was like on a, I don't know, like a Wednesday. She's like, I have to pull your driver's license. So I'm passing out. We don't know why. And I can't drive. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. Ah! And I'm on eight medications at this point to manage my headaches and my, all my other junk from the concussions. And so I remember I was, I was literally a drooling idiot. Like, my mom had to come take care of my daughter while Josh went to work because I, I just couldn't function. And I was I literally just drool. And I remember laying in my bed. I had the covers pulled up over me, and I thought, this, this is not, I'm not happy, God. <laughs> I'm not in a good place. Like, I was very depressed, and I, I was just in despair. I was just like, what, am I going to have to have brain surgery? Am I ever going to be able to take care of my daughter again? Like, it was just horrible. And I just remember God, I remember this very clearly, I'm just laying there in a ball with the covers over my head. I haven't showered in three days, so I'm stinky and nasty, but I don't care because I'm so miserable. I'm just laying there, and God's like, I am with you when you make your bed in Sheol. I love you. And that helped me. I was like, okay, I can't really, we don't know what else is going on, but what I know I can count on is that God loves me. And God is good, and God will take care of me, and he will take care of my family. Some good will come of this. And, you know, praise the Lord, I was in a brain tumor. I had this, it's like passing out disease, basically, is what I have. It's for sissies. I have a sissy disease. <laughs> but but I, I think, you know, sometimes what we have to do, though, is we have to... Um, we have to push against the fear. Elsa didn't do that. She just gave into it, and it consumed her, and it dictated her life. And I think sometimes we allow that to happen in our lives. I, I went to, um, you know, Angela Ward, who teaches, she teaches all the hard classes at the gym that she works at. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll try an Angela class. It's been a while. I couldn't sit down for a week. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Susie Horniker was there, she knows. <laughs> I was doing this. I was like, and I'd go places, right? And, I, and I'd like drop something. I'd be like, oh, people would be like, are, are you okay, ma'am? Do you need, do you need assistance? And Sophie was like, oh, poor mommy. But I'll tell you what, I, I'm starting to see some difference. And th that's what it's like for us, you guys. When we feel like life is pushing around us, we have to fight and push back. And we have to stand on the promise of the word. There is a, there is, there's so many verses in here that talk about how God loves us, how he will provide, how he protects us. And I think sometimes we have to push back, and you have to just grunt through the pain. Like, we did, like, we did so many squats in that, or, wait, lunges, didn't we? Like, we, and our quads are just, like, you could break a diamond on this leg right now. No, but we have to do that, I think, in our life, when we feel like fear and anxiety is overcoming us. We have to push back, even though it hurts and it's painful, because sometimes that's what it takes to walk in the Word. We have to push back. Now, maybe you're saying, Mako, that's great. You're up there preaching. You're giving a sermon. 
I'm not saying this stuff to you or telling you this because this is your feel-good message for the week. I mean, I do want you to feel good. But I'm telling you this because this is, this is life. This, is work. this, this works. I, I want to read you something. There is um, somebody who, who's a friend of mine, and I love her a whole bunch. And um, she just got some news from um, her doctor. And they, they, they identified six um, suspicious spots in her breast. And she's, she's, um, she's young. She's a lot younger than I am. And so she has to go back and get it checked out. But it, it looks kind of serious. And so we've been texting back and forth. And I asked her, I said, when she told me, like, I just, I just put my phone down, and I just started weeping. I was like, oh. So I texted her back, and I said, how are you doing? Are you afraid? I want to read to you what she texted back to me. <coughs> Sorry, hold on. She said, if I allow it, Fear of the, the fear of a potential breast cancer diagnosis, to take over my mind and allow myself to forget how amazingly God has taken care of me from the beginning, of course I feel afraid. There are frightening moments, but I know that if I allow fear to take control, I'm out. And this just wasn't like one little part of her text. Like, she's walking in this. Like, this is her mindset. And she's not oblivious, I mean, she's not, you know, she's not, she doesn't have rose-colored glasses on. She, she knows the seriousness of this, and, but she's like, I am leaning on God. I am allowing that to dominate my thoughts and my heart. And so I, I just encourage you guys, if this young person, you know, she's not, she's not a, you know, <clears throat> a more mature Christian, as far, you know, she's not one of our spiritual oaks, it's, been around and, and gone through, you know, a whole lifetime of stuff. And yet she has the spiritual maturity to assume this posture. Because she knows that she has a God that loves her passionately and tremendously. And he will not fail her. And I just wonder, if we lived like that, Or if we encouraged others to live like that, how would it transform our spiritual walk? <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Number three, true love is extravagant. By extravagant, I don't mean you drop in $100 bills everywhere. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> or you're buying diamond rings. True love doesn't count the cost. Okay, we're going to watch this um, clip. And in it, Anna, who's the younger sister, has been freeze-blasted in the heart by her sister Elsa. When Elsa loses it, she just freaks out, right? Fear overtakes her and, and anxiety. And Elsa accidentally, she freaks out. And so, you know, her ice castle turns red, and there's all these shards, and there's this ice storm. Well, one of those things hits her sister Anna's heart. 
And once you start to get a, once you have a frozen heart, you're done for. Unless there's an act of true love that can break that. All right. So, <clears throat> bless you. Christoph, who is, you know, was alongside Anna trying to find Elsa, right? Christoph, who at this point really does love Anna, and Anna loves Christoph, but she doesn't realize it because she's still taken with Hans. They think the act of true love to break the spell is if Anna gets a kiss from Hans, her, her fiancé of a couple hours. <laughs> and so they rush, Christoph rushes Anna back to the castle to get a kiss from Hans, thinking that that will break the spell and that Anna will be able to live. Well, Hans turns out to be a real tool, and he is like, I'm not going to kiss you. And also, I'm just going to let you die here in this big room of this castle. So he's, he, he puts out the fire that is kind of the only thing at this point that ke is keeping Anna alive and keeping her warm. Because she's freezing from the inside. So she is, he leaves her to die in this cold room, and she's just shivering. And that's where we, uh, we get to meet Olaf in this clip. happened to your kiss? I was wrong about him. It wasn't true love. Well, we ran all the way here. Please, Olaf, you can't stay here. You'll melt. I am not leaving here until we find some other act of true love to save you. Do you happen to have any ideas? I don't even know what love is. That's okay. I do. Love is putting someone else's needs before yours, like... You know, how Kristoff brought you back here to Hans and left you forever. Kristoff loves me? Wow, you really don't know anything about love, do you? Olaf, you're melting. Some people are worth melting for. You're just maybe not right this second. Ah! Don't worry, I've got it. Thank you. When, when Olaf says that some people are worth melting for, he really gets at the heart of what true self-sacrificial love is about. He doesn't really have any concern for his own well-being. You know, he's just, he's like, whatever we need to do to take care of Anna. And I just think, if that's not biblical, I don't know what is. Um, this kind of, this grand, extravagant love. It's extravagant because Christoph doesn't go, let me do a cost-benefit analysis here. 
what's, what's my return on investment? If I save you, what am I going to get out of it? How do I come out of this? What's in it for me? Olaf just jumps in, even though he's a snowman. <laughs> and he's like, I got to take care of my friend that I love. And I just think it's ironic, of course, that the snowman, the inanimate object, knows more about love than this human does. We see this type of, so when I say extravagant love, that's what I mean. You just, you just do it. My sister's going to kill me, but my sister has done stuff for me like that. She'll just, she'll, you know, when I was going through my head stuff or with my back stuff, she'll just drop everything and come over, come get Sophia, bring me a meal, whatever, whatever I need, she's there. And that is, and that's the kind of love that we're called to practice and embrace as, as Christ followers. And it's not just with family members. You know, we have to be wise about it. But it's not just with family or our spouses. God's like, I want you to function in this capacity across the board. We see this kind of extravagant love with, uh, between um, David and Jonathan. Um, if we can, can we get uh, Samuel for Samuel? Um, what's just happened here is David is like a national hero. He's just whooped up on everybody and brought major victory to the Israelites. Okay? And at this point, Saul is not too, he's like, he's not into the, his killing. <laughs> he's not trying to kill David at this point. Okay? Jonathan is Saul's son, and he is the next in line to be king of all Israel. Now, prior to this, though, when David was little, remember, he was prophesied over and was told, you will be the next king of Israel. Now, what happens is David and Jonathan strike up this friendship. And it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, when you meet somebody and you're like, oh, my gosh, you like underwater basket weaving that much? Me too. I thought I was the only one. And you, and it's, you just, you get it. You get each other. You get your passion about it. You're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. That's what's going on here. David and Jonathan are identical in their passion for righteousness and their passion for God's will over Israel. So there's just this, this natural clicking. The drawback, though, is that David is kind of a challenger to Jonathan's right to the throne. But Jonathan doesn't care. Let's read. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. He wasn't, Jonathan wasn't trying to make David a prisoner. He was just, they were just buddies. And he's like, you can't leave. We got so much hunting to do. <clears throat> and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now what's interesting is this is a unilateral covenant, meaning it is only binding on Jonathan. Basically, Jonathan has bound himself to David. He's like, I commit myself to you. 
in chesed love. Do you remember that? It's that undying, the world could be against us, but I'm next to you. And this is key. This is the extravagant love part. Verse 4, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is not a bathrobe that Jonathan is wearing. These are the regal, royal garments of the future king of Israel. He takes it off, and he gives it to David. And it's not like, here, you can try my cloak on. He gives it to him. And then he gives his tunic and his sword and his bow and his belt. He gives it all to David. He doesn't hold anything back. Because he, Jonathan loves David. He's like, this prophecy was given over you. I want to see what's best for you. And he does that. So Jonathan lays down his right to the throne, and he gives it to his best friend. It's extravagant. Let me give you a personal example. Um, a couple of years ago when we got our dog Jackson, we got a phone call. It was on a Wednesday night because it was Wednesday night Bible study. And we got a phone call from our neighbors, Liz and Lalo. And um, they're like, you guys need to get home. Something's really wrong with your dog. Jackson was up against the chain link fence that's in front of our driveway, and he was just convulsing. His eyes were rolled back in his head, and he had foam coming out of his mouth, and he was not responsive. And this was, we, you know, we'd had, I had had fertility issues, and we couldn't have a baby. And so we're like, our dog is our baby. Fine, we'll have a furry baby. That's fine. <laughs> so Jackson was our baby. So we, we see Jackson like this. Josh gets home before me. Lalo, who has to get up at the crack of dawn on Thursday morning, comes with Josh to the ER, the animal ER. And he's like, I will stay with you. Josh is like, you know, there's nothing, it's just a waiting game at this point. Just, and by this time I had gotten to the, the, the vet place. And it was really, they're like, you know, you should probably just come say goodbye to your dog because this doesn't, he'd gotten into rat poison. And so they're like, it doesn't look good. We've pumped his stomach, we're doing IV, but he's not really responding. And so you should probably just come say goodbye. And do you know Lalo didn't leave? He stayed there for hours with us. This guy had to be up the next day early, like at 4 in the morning. He went, we couldn't pay him to leave. He's like, no, I'm staying here. I'm not going anywhere. And that's what I mean by love is extravagant. True love is extravagant. Lalo wasn't like, well, I have to get up really early. Uh, I don't know, I'll just, okay, you guys are good here, I'll ask you later. He's like, no, I'm staying with you. I am by your side. And he wasn't like, you got to get me dinner, and, and you have to agree to take my animals to the vet. There was no bartering, there was none of that. He was just like, I'm here, I'm not leaving, you can't get rid of me. That is what I mean by extravagant love. All right. Point number four, true love is an action, not a feeling. And that's what I think this movie so vividly illustrates. 
is that you see the love that is a feeling between Hans and Anna, right? It's completely superficial and giggly and goofy, which I know you need to have that in the beginning stages of love, <laughs> to be googly-eyed and all, you know, butterfly in the stomach. And... But it's not real what Hans and Anna have. It is superficial, and it's ridiculous. There's a song that they sing together that talks about how they can finish each other's supposed to be sentences, but they say sandwiches, which kind of illustrates the ridiculousness of the relationship, right? You know, we see who is by Anna's side throughout the movie, looking for Elsa, and it's not Hans, it's Kristoff. And we see this, you know, this is, this, this, this idea is, is reiterated time and time. Olaf doesn't just say, oh, Anna, I'm sorry you're dying. Let me give you a cold hug. Sorry about that. Life stinks. Sorry. No, he does something. He starts a fire for her. Kristoff, you know, he, he saves Anna's life a couple times. So in this movie, true love is an action. It's not a feeling. There's action. When you say you love somebody or you love somebody, you do something to prove it. And I think it reaches the pinnacle when, at the very end, when Elsa is saved by Anna. Now, let me set this up for you just real quick, and then we'll watch the clip. Um, so, basically, all the major characters are coming onto the, the ice. Um, Anna is on the ice because she's trying to reach Kristoff, who's coming towards her, who figures out, I need to kiss her. That will save her because we really love each other. That's an act of true love. And then Olaf is on the ice just for comic relief. And then Elsa has, I think, just busted out of prison. And then Hans, though, has just told her, you killed your sister. You gave her an ice-cold shot to the heart, and she's, she's dead. You killed her. It's your fault. So Anna, or Elsa is on the ice, and she's despondent. She doesn't care what happens next because she's just lost all hope. The very thing that she didn't want to happen, happened. She killed her sister with her powers. And then you have Hans, the evil tool. <laughs> he, he thinks he's gotten rid of uh, Anna, right? Anna's dead because she died of a frozen heart. Hans wants the kingdom of Arendelle. So he's, he's coming after Elsa to take care of her so he can have Arendelle to himself. So that's the story set up. Roll the tape. Your sister is dead because of you.
sacrificed yourself for me? I love you. If that's not a page taken out of scripture, I don't know what is. So Anna, you can see she's looking at Kristoff. She's like, if I get the kiss from Kristoff, I'm going to live. But then she notices out of the corner of her eye that Hans is about to end Elsa's life. And Anna makes a conscious decision to use her last moments to take that blow so her sister doesn't have to. She makes a choice to sacrifice herself. A lot of the, the stuff I've been reading kind of have Anna, she, she represents Christ. She's a Christ figure. Because she took on something that she didn't have to. The sword was meant for her sister, but she takes her sister's place. and She takes the punishment instead. If that isn't the message of the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross, I don't know what is. You know, true love has teeth. Let me read this to you. This is Romans 5, 6 through 9. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. You see the word? Demonstrates? That's got action. That's got teeth to it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, at this point in the movie, Anna and Elsa haven't patched things up. There's, there's still kind of a, a chasm between them. But Anna loves her sister Elsa so much that her reaction is to spare her sister's life, to save her sister's life. And that's what Christ did for us. He took on the iniquity of the world. He took on a sentence that was meant for us, a sentence of death. And he said, I... Love my children so much. I will take the place. I will take the punishment. And give eternal life to you. <laughs> There's another verse I want to read to you. It's 1 John 3.16 and we all know it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It doesn't end there, though. There's a command. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, I read that verse earlier about being adopted into the family of Christ, right? Well, that means that there's got to be a family resemblance, right? We're supposed to look like our father. And that means demonstrating a love that can move mountains, a love that is unrelenting, a love that you can count on, a love that has teeth to it, not a fluffy kind of poops and giggles love, 
but a love that says, I will stick with you when the chips are down. I will stick with you. I will abide with you. Because that's what God has done for us. Can I have the band and ushers come up? Let me read you this quote from this British guy named Oswald Chambers. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He has a devotional and uh, just has a lot of keen insight into spiritual matters. He wrote, The knowledge that God has loved me beyond all limits will compel me to go into the world to love others in the same way. And I just pray that we get that, that, that the love that we're called to practice isn't superficial, it is sacrificial, it is extravagant because it costs us. It's not convenient and it's not easy. But God's like, I did it. Jesus says, I did it, I loved you so much. And that's what we're called to do. I encourage you guys this week, maybe you don't have an Anna in your life that can kind of come alongside you and encourage you. Or maybe you do. Maybe you're like, life is great right now. Then I encourage you to become an Anna to somebody. Show somebody what true love is. And, and a lot of times that has to start with our families, right? Or the people that we work with. <laughs> The people that we don't like, <laughs> that bug us or annoy us or we annoy them. But God's like, you know what? I, I did this for you guys. You are called to look like me. We are called to be more Christ-like. And that doesn't mean that we go to church on Sundays and Bible study on Wednesday and give to the poor and go to the food bank. It means that we act Christ-like. And that, if you boil it down, is about sacrificial love. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you are it when it comes to love. And that you have such a ferocious love for us that you died on the cross. That while we were still in the pit of Sheol, wallowing in our sin, you said, I want to redeem these people. I love these people with an everlasting love. God, I pray that this week that wouldn't cease to be knowledge and that it would become wisdom in our hearts and wisdom to motivate us to live differently. God, we love you for first loving us. Pray that you'd bless this offering and just go with us the rest of this week. We love you so much. In your name, amen.